1: It's November
2: seventeenth, nineteen twenty-two, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. Now, I found some archive news footage about the event that happened on this day, and it begins: Fury in the Land of the Fez. <laughs> And I thought two things about that. One, I wish the news was still like that a bit. And two, uh, that is a neat enough summary. So here goes. Uh, Today there was fury in the land of the Fez because this was the day that the 36th and last Sultan of the Ottoman Empire, Mehmet VI, stepped onto a British warship to seek refuge in Malta.
3: And I found some photos of him leaving and he goes through the back door of his palace. And I tell you what, there's a lot of
2: fezzes about. (laughs) Everyone is wearing a fez. Um, What's all the fez about? That would have been a good headline as well. (laughs) Even Pathé wouldn't do jokes like that.
3: (laughs) But he left apparently accompanied by his first chamberlain, his doctor, two confidential secretaries, a valet, a barber, two eunuchs and his bandmaster.
1: I never go anywhere without my eunuchs.
3: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but I I was thinking particularly about the bandmaster and I thought that would have been the toughest assignment like make music appropriate for being exiled it's it's sad but it's not too sad
2: seeking asylum with dignity please
1: please don't play it too loudly because we are sort of sneaking out the back door so like quiet but but cautiously optimistic exile music and also you know
3: usually you're composing for an orchestra but this time you've got two eunuchs and a barber
1: it's truly astonishing really to think that you can see newsreel footage of the end of an empire which had started in the 14th century and continued Mm. in an unbroken line for those hundreds and hundreds of years now we can just see it all unravelling on old sort of you know and just old newsreel it's incredible really
2: I agree. You think of the Sultan and you think of images from like the 1700s and stuff. The idea that there's black and white photographs of this guy that he died the year before my grandma was born. She's still alive. Like this is actually really recent. And the way he was living with those eunuchs, with his harem of five wives, was basically how they've lived for centuries before that. Yes. And that whole business of the fact that they started out fighting the
3: Byzantines and now they're involved in World War One. And it was World War One that was so involved in the decline of the Ottomans, you know, not least because the Ottoman Empire had ended up siding with Germany, uh, but also that its territory had been in decline for some time. And now it was being broken up by treaty by the Allied powers who had subsequently gone on to win the war.
1: Yeah, but the rot had set in as early as the 19th century and like most powerful empires, it simply just got too big for its own good. At its largest, it spanned from the Persian Gulf to Hungary and included parts of North Africa and parts of modern day Russia as well. And this was all well and good for hundreds of years. And so one issue was that Europe had always considered the Ottoman Empire to be this kind of Muslim boogeyman, you know, at the door. And so there was this concerted effort on behalf of European powers to consciously undermine at every turn. But also in the 1700s and 1800s, you had the rise of nationalist ideology, the idea that all of these modern day nations, and I think it's something like, thirty-seven modern day countries were once part of the Ottoman Empire. You know, you had all of these groups emerging, demanding their own independence. And once that kind of internal dissent had taken hold, it was pretty hard to root out. I mean, they had tried. In nineteen oh eight they agreed to move to a constitutional monarchy, but by that point it was really just too late. And also the Ottoman Empire was quite far behind Europe in terms of industrialization, mm. mass education. There's estimate that only ten percent of the subjects of the empire were literate in nineteen fourteen. So obviously they were lagging quite a way behind their rivals and then it was just World War One which really formed this kind of death blow to the Empire because they'd made this in retrospect disastrous decision to ally themselves with the Triple Alliance in World War One.
3: I found that statistic as well about literacy and it's an astonishing lack of education and simultaneously, as you say, they were way too agrarian. The Industrial Revolution had almost missed them and so at the point at which Great Britain, France and Russia started building uh, heavy weaponry, they just could not keep up militarily.
2: Well, Mehmet himself could uh, write and read and uh, on the 16th of November, the day before, he'd written to Sir Charles Harrington... Uh sir considering my life in danger in Istanbul I take refuge with the British government and request my transfer as soon as possible from Istanbul to another place and then signed it Mehmed Vahideddin Caliph of the Muslims. Now that was a bit of a reverse ferret because at the beginning of that month he'd said he was going to cling on that he was the leader of the Muslim world which obviously he's still asserting by signing a letter like that but that he had the military powers on his side he wasn't going anywhere. Um But what happened is there was then this sort of uh, burgeoning Turkish government being formed and they had to decide how future caliphs were going to be appointed and what powers they would have. And the initial criteria that they were going to use would be that the replacement for this sultan would be a member of the imperial family who was the wisest, most honest and best educated. Which would be a really interesting criteria if you applied it to our royal family now, wouldn't it? Instead of having a line of succession, imagine that. Like, how do you actually? Did you go with a literally with an IQ test? Like, how do you oh do that? Oh man, who wins that in our royal family?
3: To
1: be fair, if they had been doing it like that, Mehmet would have been a pretty good contender. Like, he was he was very educated, very amiable kind of guy, very fond of calligraphy and music, and also harem life. But you know. Who wouldn't be? He'd only been the sultan for four years at this point, though. The empire may have been going on for, you know, like 700 years at this point, but he'd actually only had a very small taste. And so you can understand why, as the Ottoman Empire was being partitioned by the allies at the end of World War One, his focus was all about maintaining the dynasty, and to the point where he was acceding to basically all these allied demands, where they were carving up the whole empire, to the point where all that would have been left was basically part of modern day turkey and to the turkish nationalists this was a completely repulsive move on this point and just kind of sealed his fate at first he did try and work with them but i think eventually they were just too disgusted by his behavior which seemed to be putting his own power above the future of the empire
3: especially because his predecessor, Mehmed V, had lost the empire's northern African territories in the Italo-Turkish War and lost almost all of the empire's European territories west of Constantinople, now Istanbul, in the First Balkan War. So, you know, the, there was this massive, massive reduction of the, of the territory controlled by the Ottomans even before he stepped into power, part of which was being girded with this ceremonial sword. And I absolutely loved reading about but <laughs> something that involved the word GERT that wasn't my national
2: anthem. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reading accounts from the time, the other thing that struck me was the sort of schadenfreude that there was in the West, really, about this event, his escape. You know, the Chicago Tribune wrote him up as, quote, A broken, solitary old man trembling in constant terror of assassination, who took refuge on this tiny, rocky scrap of island fortress lost in the middle of the Mediterranean. They're talking about Malta. They're (laughs) they're talking about Alcatraz. I mean, I'm sure it was grim for him, having had this incredible life living in palaces, but it's not that grim. I mean, he was alive, he was being looked after, he did have his people with him.
1: Well, yeah, and he lived out the rest of his life on the Italian Riviera, so it was hardly like, you know, Napoleon in exile on St. Helena or something, you know, he was living a pretty comfortable existence.
3: It wasn't so magnificent for the royal family, Mehmed's first cousin and heir, Abdul Majid Effendi. He was the next person to be elected caliph before it all came crumbling down, no, notably not a sultan. The, the last sultan was Mehmed the, the sixth. Um, but but it, very quickly, in 1924, the entire Ottoman sultanate and caliphate was abolished, and 156 people belonging to the royal family were were then completely expelled. They were denied citizenship. They were given one-way passports and their palaces were ransacked. And apparently they really couldn't find almost anywhere to settle. Eventually they ended up in Beirut. But a lot of them were reduced to reportedly washing dishes, even begging and searching Bins for food, I mean that those reports you could imagine could have been yet more of this uh, triumphalism of the fall of the Ottoman Empire. look
2: how far they've fallen?
3: yeah by the people who are now writing history but um, but even so, it does sound as though the family were given short shrift all around.
1: It's the question, I suppose, of what do you do when your job is to be in the royal family and then the royal family no longer exists. Mm, I was thinking, I've I've read something recently about, I think it was a a government minister from Afghanistan who was working as a delivery driver. He was like a a bike courier in Germany. You know and it's like there's no reason not to take that job right you know you don't get you can't live off of your status in your original country
2: there was no option then to do an interview
3: with oprah was there yeah <laughs> and also his skill set mehmed the sixth he was a poet he was a writer he had amazing calligraphy but then he also he could play this instrument called the canoon and i was like nope internet no idea and <laughs> the internet was like it's a kind of zither i was like nope still not internet. <laughs> it's a harpy kind of string thing <laughs> but what are you going to do with those skills
2: really
1: yeah we're like considered retraining and going into stem
2: do you know that the first sultan osman said that the empire had come to him in a dream in 1299 hmm. like this show this show came <laughs> to me in a dream
1: i'm like <laughs> the sultan yeah may it last 623 years <laughs> <laughs> and
3: if
2: only your dreams were a little bit more ambitious Ollie. <laughs> i know in his dream apparently a tree burst out of his chest oh that doesn't Where sound just, good I, mine was just like I don't know, there's something about talking about days in history. (laughs) And here we all are.
1: (laughs) Ottoman Empire, Podcast Empire.
2: Tomorrow. According to Empire at the time, the trailer created, quote, online congestion not seen since the publication of The Star Report. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors.
0: Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.